0: If you would, take your Bibles and turn to that passage in James. There's a book that you can read. I don't suggest it, actually. (laughs) I've, I've perused it, but it's called The Complete Father. And the subtitle is Essential Concepts and Archetypes. An archetype is a pattern or model that you want to follow. And so they kind of tell you, hey, what would it be like if you were a complete father? And so they give in numerous chapters about the traits and qualities of what a complete father would be about. One of them is on being a captain. You have to be the leader as the dad. And another one is an educator where you teach your wife and your children. Another one is a protector that you watch over them and keep them safe. Then you're a nurturer and you love and show compassion. Another one, the last one is a jester that you kind of think make things light and you joke around and you have a good uh, personality report. And all these things they say make up the definition of what a complete father is. And he's not just a guy that has one or two of these traits. He's a dad who has the whole package, they would say. And then so you have, um, the question is, and the book answers it, where does a father look in order to be a complete dad? Where does he look? Well, the author makes it very clear, and I quote, every father has within himself, the makings of a complete parent. So the book would say, you want to be the complete father? You want to have the whole package? You want to be everything your wife and your kids are looking for in a dad? It's all right inside you. All you have to do is get in touch with your inner dad. (laughs) And, And you can do it. You have it within you to do that. Every father, the book would say, has everything he needs to be the whole package for their family. All five of those quality traits are all wrapped up inside of you. You come to the book of James, and it's a completely different story. And you come to the book of James, and it's in contrast to the secular viewpoint of the book I quoted to you. The biblical view of a complete father is a person who has been made complete by somebody else. It's not something that you have inherently within you. To be a complete father or to be a complete person even is something that someone else does to you from the outside in. And that is namely God. God, through Jesus Christ, can make you a complete father. So let me say it straight to you and get right to it. In order to be a complete father this morning, my proposition would be you have to be, have a complete faith. To be a complete father, you have to have a complete faith. And so I'm going to unpack that in just two simple things. Ready? One at a time. One is the principle of a complete faith. And that's where the James 2 passage comes in. If you look at it with me. Um, I want you to see this, that Abraham is called our father in this text, but he is the father of nations, he is the ethical, or I should say the the ethnic father of Jewish people, but he's also of Ishmael, of other nations as well, but he is, and I want you to really focus on this, he is the father of one son, so he's a dad, and his son's name is Isaac, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And that is the greatest area of testing in his life. What the one story about Abraham's life that's most often repeated in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is his offering of his son Isaac. And so look at verse 22. It reads, You see that faith was active with his works. Watch. And faith, key word, was completed by his works. See, Abraham was a complete father. He was a complete believer. It's the same word used in chapter 1, verse 4, that we've already gone over. That You know why God tests your faith? Because he wants you to be complete, right? And mature. See, it's the same word. It means wholeness. So a complete faith, according to James, is one that is completed by works. Now, very, very, very listen to this very carefully, really. It's not faith plus works that makes you saved or justified. It's a faith that is evidenced by works. You don't have to earn God's favor. We don't do good enough works. It's not because we've been you know, to communion or had communion or we've been baptized as an infant or an adult. It's not because we've been catechized or, or, or kept the sacraments or we, we have come to a Baptist church or any of those things. That's not what James is saying. But what he's saying is the difference between, and our, our theme is this, a real faith and a non, a, a fiction faith and a non-fiction faith is whether your faith is accompanied by works, whether it's proven to have changed you from the inside out, because you have both. You have a faith on the inside, and you have works on the outside. And so four times, because he really wants us to get it, four times in this paragraph, he talks about faith and works. Verse 14, he says, "See, says he has faith, but does not have works. If you say you have faith, but you don't have works, he says, then your faith is dead. It's not real. 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, faith apart from works is useless. Verse 22, faith was active along with his works, completed by his works. You see, he wants you to get... Faith and works go together, not because they both are needed for salvation, but if you have a real faith, you have a real salvation, it will always be accompanied by a life that has been changed. It will always be accompanied by works. So let me say it to you this way. Faith without works doesn't work. Faith without works doesn't work. It cannot save you. In fact, he says it so strongly to get our attention that he says that you believe in one God, James 2.19, you believe in one God, you do well. But so do the demons. <laughs> you know demons, they're not going to go to heaven. You, know, you realize that, right? But they believe, they have faith that there is one God. Satan himself was right next to God. It's not that they don't know. They have the same faith. They understand who Jesus is. They understand what he has done. And they believe that he is all those things. But their life has never been changed. And they have no works. And he wants you to know that your faith is no better than a demon's. If you don't have it accompanied by works, the word is powerful in verse 20. Faith apart from works is useless, and it's actually in Greek literature, it means unemployed. It also is used of of women who can't have babies. They're unproductive. They can't do it. They don't produce anything in that sense. 2 Peter 1.8 uses the same word, and it's translated ineffective. It means it's hollow. It means that there's empty. It's deficient. It doesn't serve any purpose. See, that's what James is saying. A a man, a father, or anybody who is complete has this truth about their faith. Their faith is a set of propositions and beliefs, but it also is accompanied by a life of works, a faith that is workless, is worthless i think james would agree to that a faith that is workless in other words doesn't produce works is worthless but see abraham was tested that's what the bible says in genesis 22 and verse 1 now god tested abraham Our book, James, starts out with this in chapter 1, verse 2. The testing of your faith. See, God brought everyone, including our fathers here this morning, because here he, he he wants to test your faith. Is it real or is it fiction? Right? Is it real accompanied by works or is it just set of beliefs in your life that you have in your mind that never really day in and day out changes who you are or what you do? Is it complete or is it incomplete? So dad's... Let me ask you straight out. Do you have a complete faith? Is it just that you believe the things that you were taught growing up in Sunday school and you've come to church and you understand who God is and you know Jesus is God and he died on the cross and rose again? It's not a problem in your mind believing those things. But the question is this. Is it complete in this way? Has it changed your life? See, it's the question that the book of James asks Is your faith accompanied by works? And so far we've seen that is bared out in trials, how we respond to them. But he's going to say more to us this morning. See, a complete father is one that's complete because he has integrated his faith with his actions. We would say it this way today. He has orthodoxy, which is the right beliefs but also has orthopraxy. That is the right behaviors. See, if your beliefs and your behaviors are diametrically opposed to one another, here's what the conclusion has to be. Your faith is bogus. If it's only a belief that you have intellectually, but it doesn't affect you practically, then here's what James says. Here's his term for it. Chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8 has the same phrase. And here's what it is. You are double-minded. So dads, are you a double-minded dad? What's that, Pastor Walker? Let me give you some examples. Well, you say that you believe in Jesus, then you do, but it really doesn't show up in your love for your wife and how you treat her, how you talk to her, and how you spend time with your kids, and how you love them and pray for them. It really doesn't impact that much. See, you say that you believe in Jesus, but it's really not, honestly, it's hardly ever demonstrated in your desire for reading the Bible, for praying, for being involved in ministry. Not even really coming to church faithfully that often. I love the fact that Barb said she saw her dad with a flashlight reading his Bible in the dark. Has your par- not that you do this on purpose, dads? But have your kids ever seen you read the Bible? Did they ever see you on your knees in prayer? Did they ever know that you're praying for them? Did they ever see you actively and faithfully involved? Are you here for the services of our church? Are you here because you're involved in ministry? It's not just that you come and sit in a pew because you're religious. No, because it's meaningful, because it's really your life. This is what you are all about. See, you say that you believe in Jesus, but it's not evident in your priorities. If something else comes up, something that's more competitive with God and, and better, quote unquote, maybe it's a game, maybe it's this sporting event, maybe it's some entertainment, maybe it's going to the shore. See, you're there, and God goes to the periphery or the margin. See, God is first as long as there's not something better out there that I could be doing. Do your family see that in you? See, you might say, oh, Pastor Walker, I'm not a deadbeat dad. And praise God that you're not. But you might be a dead faith dad, see. You're not a deadbeat dad, but you could be a dead, meaning, listen, you have faith, but there's no works with it. It's incomplete. And James would says it's double-minded. You say, okay, Pastor Walker, you have my attention. What does it look like? If, I, if I, I'm really going to evaluate myself this morning as a dad or as an individual, what would it look like if I had a completed faith? James doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us two examples, and we want to key in on just one of them. And he says that Abraham is that example, that Abraham had a faith that was completed by his works. It wasn't, see, if it's not completed, here's how he describes it. This is how serious it is, dad's. See, if you have a faith that is not accompanied by works or doesn't produce it or doesn't demonstrate it, he says it's dead. That's the first thing he says. Number two, he says it's demonic because even the devils have that. And then he says in verse 20... If you think that you could have faith apart from works, here's what he says You foolish person. So if you have a faith, but it doesn't follow up by a changed life, a transformed life, a life full of love for God and others, and, and love for his word and spiritual things and serving him, see, here's what he says It's dead, it's deceptive, and it's demonic. I mean, that's about as powerful as James can possibly say it. You know why? Because he wants to have, to grab dads by their hearts this morning and say, wake up. It's not enough to sit in the pew. It's not enough to read your Bible only at church. It's not enough just to pray at meals. That's not a completed faith. A real faith is one that has transformed your life. That good works are produced by. It's how you respond to your trials. It's how you respond to your wife and to your children. It's how you think of God and the Bible and ministry and serving him and witnessing. See, all those things are giving testimony and evidence to the reality that you have a completed faith. Now, and James, he doesn't say just Abraham. He says Rahab. And so let me include everybody. Rahab was justified by faith. It's complete too. So he wants to know, even though it's Father's Day, by the way, he gives a man and a woman example. He gives a Jew and a Gentile. So there's really not a person in this room this morning that God isn't talking to. Male or female, Jew or Gentile. Here's what he's saying. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what's going on. See, here's what he says. God has a model that you need to look at. This is what it would look like if you have a completed faith. And that model, that archetype, is Abraham. He was a man that James would say this, had faith in action. Growing up, I collected action figures. I had Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Aquaman. I didn't have Black Panther, didn't have them, but he's out there and super popular now. Wonder Woman. I mean, they have women. They have them all out there, and there's way many more than I. I, I, All the Marvel characters and the movies and all that's going on now. But I, I think, kind of in a way, Abraham for me is a faith in action action figure. Can I put it that way? And what he's famous for and why he is supernatural power, so to speak. Can I say it that way? Is because he had an undivided faith that could be seen through the actions he performed. That made him great. But there was one action, one work that completed his faith that stood out among all the rest of them. And this is what James says in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Watch. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. See, Abraham is the father of many nations, but before he became the father of many nations, he was the father of one son, Actually, he had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was of Hagar. She was an Egyptian. That wasn't the son of promise. And and you know how, if you would now turn to Genesis 22, I want to show you the picture of a completed faith. So I want you to say, hey, I know the principle. Faith is completed by works, not because I work my way to heaven or get work salvation, but because a real faith will always produce works, Always. So what would that look like, Pastor Walker, as a dad? What would it look like if it's true in my life? Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1, starts all after these things. Now, that just sounds like a little transition statement, but let me tell you this. Read chapter 21, and you'll find out this, that Ishmael and his mom, Hagar, who was Abraham's other son, are sent away, and they're gone. See, he could have fallen back on Ishmael as another son, although it wasn't of Sarah, it was of Hagar. But it was still his son. So he could have relied on that and said, hey, maybe if Isaac, you know, if God doesn't give me a baby, you know, I can have Ishmael, that'll work. But now Ishmael is gone, and the only one he has left is his son Isaac. And that is why, in the text, in verse 1, 12, and 16, here's what God says to Abraham. He says, I want you to offer up your son, your only son that you love. Because the only son he has is Isaac. God put him in a place, hear me, God put him in a place where he had to choose to trust God and there was no other options. Ishmael was gone, Isaac was the only one left. And now here's what God does. He's gonna come to Abraham to Abraham. And the question is for us, as we read the text, how was Abraham going to respond when God says, your only hope, your only son, the one that you love, the one that you're banking on, the one that you put all your future dreams on, that one son, I'm asking you to put him on the altar and sacrifice him. Let me put it in context. Please hear me. If you contrast Genesis 12 with Genesis 22, there are two major events in life, in his, Abraham's life. When God first called him in chapter 12, and then when he calls him to put his son Isaac on the altar. Now, God asked Abraham in chapter 12 to offer up his past. When he first comes to Abraham, here's what he said. And this is a lot to ask. Just think this. What would I do if God said this to me? I want you to leave your country behind. I want you to leave your family behind. I want to leave your father's house behind so you don't have no job. You have no future. You have no family. Everything you're used to, everything you've ever known, I want you to leave it all far behind. I want you to get out of those things. I want you to go from the known to the unknown. I want you to leave the certain and go to the uncertain. I want you to leave all the people that you've called family and just pray and hope. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a new family even though you're not going to have it for a long time. Now, you have to agree with me. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? You're not going to see your family again. You're not going to live here. You're not going to have all the things you have. You're going to have to start over, and on top of it, God says, and start walking, and I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. How do you like that? But here's here's what happens. God asked Abraham, give me all of your past." Everything that you've built your life on give it to me put it on the altar and abraham says god i'll do it Now we come to genesis chapter 22 and now god doesn't just ask abraham for his past He says I want your future too See I want you to take your son your only son the one that you love And I want you to put him on a stack of wood and I want you to burn him as a sacrifice Now listen abraham knows all about altars All throughout his life, wherever he goes in the promised land, he's always building altars to worship God. He did it in Bethel in chapter 12. He did it in Hebron chapter 13. He now does it in Moriah here in chapter 22. He has built altars his whole life to God. And when God said build an altar, he did it. And he was glad to make the animal sacrifice. And God now says, I want you as the climax of my relationship with, I want you to build a, a, this altar, and I want you to put your son on at this time. Literally, here's what God's asking. What? All your hopes and dreams, I want you to put them on there because they're going to go up in smoke, literal smoke. God is asking Abraham, I want you to burn all the bridges to the past, and I want you to build all, burn all your bridges to the future. So I I want everyone, everything in your life, I want it all. Way back there, in the future that you don't know about, I want you to say, God, I love you, I obey you, and it doesn't matter what the cost. That's what a complete dad is like. See, Abraham didn't have divided allegiances. He had a wholehearted devotion to God, even when, listen, on top of it all, as hard as all that God was asking him to do, and he knows God, All the gods of the world around him, they offer human sacrifices. God, Yahweh, does not. And God promised me, this is the son, this is him. There aren't any other ones. See, Abraham trusted God, listen, when it looked like God was breaking his promises and when it looked like God was acting contrary to his own character and attributes. He says, I don't get it, I don't understand why you would ask me this. I don't know how you can ask me this, knowing who you are. You're not a God who offers human sacrifices. And I don't know how you can ask me this, because I know what your word has said. And despite all of that, that he did not get, he says, I'll still do it. I'll still do it. Let me ask you, dads, do you trust God like that? Is that the kind of faith that you have? When God is asking everything from you, how do you respond? See, there are some dads here this morning. I can't imagine that you're not contemplating. Hey, you know, maybe I should become a Christian. And I'm thinking about, you know, maybe it would be the best thing for me and my family and for God would be for me to get saved. And so you start thinking while I'm talking, well, if I become a Christian, well, I have to give up some stuff. Well, I have to lose some things. And you come to the realization, looking at the life of Abraham, that God wants you to follow Jesus, but it may cost you something. And no matter what God asks, he wants you to obey him. See, one last comparison in Genesis 12 and 22. They have these three things in common. Both of them, God tells Abraham to go and not know where he's going. He wants a place that I'm going to tell you later. And they both have a sacrifice involved, one of his past and one of his future. And what we find out what a complete faith looks like is it looks like someone who, who believes God and obeys God no matter what he asks of him. But you say, Pastor Walker, I'm willing to follow God as long as he doesn't ask me to, and then you fill in the blank. See, there's some doubt. I'd follow God, but are you kidding? I can't play golf on Sundays now. You mean I can't have my career be the ultimate satisfaction that I find? I'll follow God, but you know, don't ask me to get too serious about the Bible, uh, or too serious about coming to church too often. You know, I'll follow God if I don't have to get involved in a small group or a D group and really get my life orientated toward the Lord. You know, if you're asking me to be the spiritual leader in my home, I don't think so. If you're asking me, Pastor Walker, to ask God's forgiveness, maybe, but you're asking me to go home today and tell my wife that I was wrong about a lot of stuff and and apologize to my wife and my kids, I don't know about that. See, this morning, if you're a dad, or anybody for that matter, if you're coming to God and you have conditions, you have conditions then you're not coming to God as God at all. See, what you're really saying, hear me, what you're really saying is, God, I'll follow you as long as following you leads me to my real God because your real God is success. And so I'll follow God as long as it makes my business career successful, as long as I get the retirement I want, as long as my marriage and my kids turn out and everything is good and I don't have any health crisis. See, what you really want is those things. And if I have to get those things, the way to get them is to have God in my life. To some, See, he won't do that. That's not complete faith. Faith is, I trust God, I give God everyone and everything in my life, not knowing how it's going to end up or how it's going to turn out. So a complete father is one who has a complete faith, where his works demonstrate the validity of the non-fiction aspect of his faith. And that's what this means, that God is the only non-negotiable in his life. See, dads, here's what I would hope for you. See, there are a lot of things, in fact, most things are negotiable. I can go here, I can go on vacation, I can do this, I can have this job. You know, I may or may not do. All of those things are negotiable. But there's one thing for the complete faith dad that isn't negotiable, and it's God. God in his life, God in his marriage, God in his family with his children, God is the non-negotiable. Abraham... When God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18... He, God and Abraham have this conversation and it turns into a debate and he argues with God. If you'll, "If you'll spare them, right, if there's this many people and he goes from 50 all the way down to 10. So there's this big, long, drawn-out argument talk. God, he debates God when it comes to destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. But you read Genesis 22 for yourself. When it comes to putting his own son Isaac on the altar, there is no conversation. There is no speech. There's hardly any recorded words that Abraham says. The only thing he does is talk a little bit to his son but he doesn't say any. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't ask God for explanations. He doesn't not, not like Sodom, but this is completely different because when it comes to a complete dad's faith, you know what, he is trusting God implicitly even if God never offers any explanations. The only conversation he has is with his son, and it's a hard one because his father says in Genesis 22:7, 7, my father, and he says, here I am, my son. And by the way, Isaac's got to be probably in his late teenagers. He's not a five or six-year-old kid. He says, where is the lamb? Can you imagine how hard it was to come up with the answer? Where's the lamb? In other words, Isaac's got figure it figured out. He's tied up. He, am I the lamb? You wouldn't do that, dad, right? I mean, imagine, imagine that. And he says to his son, God will provide for himself a lamb. Son is used ten times, burnt offering six times, wood five times. You know what the idea is? Moses wants you, as he writes Genesis, to get the idea of how hard it was for Abraham as a father. All this wood talk and burnt offering and sacrifice, he's putting his own son on there. That's how far he would go. So dads, if you're asking, how far would God want me to go with this trust and this complete faith? All the way to putting your son on top of the altar. That's how far. Romans 4.20 says, he did not waver, meaning Abraham, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, a complete faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham was convinced God can do exactly what he says. I don't understand it. It's costing me everything. And I believe God is who he is, says he is in his word. Hebrews says this, that even though there had never been a resurrection, Abraham said, listen, if he asks me to kill my son, I believe God will resurrect him. That's how far his faith went. See, dad, that's what God is looking for. At Faith Baptist Church, God is waiting for some dads, some some complete, complete fathers who have a complete faith who will start taking their home and their religion and their relationship with God and their relationship with their wives and their children seriously who will really say, God, I want you to be the center of my life, my marriage, my home, the church for me. Wives and children, can I say it nicely? Many of them are waiting too. They're waiting so when they don't have to be the one who gets everybody to come to church. They don't have to be the initiator of who's going to serve God and be active and faithful. They would wish that you would be. They, they, they're waiting for dads who have been gone all these years and they're still waiting. We have a song this morning I'm going to close with and then we're going to have our praise band come with us and lead us as well. I'll pray after the song. Listen to the words. It's about a dad who wasn't complete and what happened in his life.